0: what's up pilot welcome back to air crash investigation the podcast i'm your host kai jordan and in today's episode we're going to be talking about the aircraft or rather the flight that flew on empty very suspicious but either way before we continue as always do not forget to rate us five stars on the podcast platform that you're listening to us on and check out our social medias ways in which you can support the podcast through patreon and buy me a coffee those links will be in the description and without wasting any more of your time let us officially get into it Air Transat Flight 236 was a scheduled flight for the 24th of August 2001. Its origin was Toronto Pearson, our favorite airport, but Toronto Pearson International Airport, Ontario, Canada, and its destination was Portela Airport, Lisbon, Portugal. The airplane used was the Airbus A330-243, and the call sign was Transat 236 Heavy, But uh, for the sake of this episode, I'm going to be referring to Air Transat Flight 236 as just Flight 236, just to save time. The captain of this flight was Robert Pichet, who was 48 years old at the time of the crash. Here I'm going to quote from the final report. On the 23rd of March 2000, he began his conversion to the A330. The captain passed his initial pilot proficiency test as an A330 captain on the 11th of May 2000, and his final route check was performed on the 22nd of June 2000. Company training records indicated that he had successfully completed all required recurrent training. No shortcomings in performance were recorded on his file. The captain successfully completed his most recent check ride on the 29th of April 2001, end quote. In total, Captain Pichet had 16,800 total flight hours with 796 hours on the Airbus A330. The first officer of this flight was Dirk Deyaga. Who was 28 years old at the time of the crash and i quote his initial training on the a330 was done in an airbus training facility in miami florida the united states of america in accordance with the airbus a330 training program under the supervision of air Transat instructors he completed his a330 training in november 2000 the first officer passed his initial proficiency test as an A330 first officer on the 22nd of November 2000, and his final route check was done on the 23rd of December 2000. Company training records indicate that he had successfully completed all required training; no shortcomings in his performance were recorded on his file. The first officer successfully completed his most recent check ride on the 15th of May 2001 in total first officer Diyahar had obtained 4800 total flight hours with 386 hours on the airbus a330 now in terms of the flight attendants and the cabin crew and i quote The cabin crew consisted of a flight director fd an assistant flight director afd and nine flight attendants the flight director had been employed as a flight attendant with the company since 1992 and was qualified on the a330 in november 1998. 7 of the 10 flight attendants had at least 8 years of experience with the company, 2 had 6 and 1 had 3 years experience. All of the flight attendants had 30 or more months of experience on the A330. Company training records indicate that all cabin crew members had received the initial and recurrent training required for their positions, meaning that they were properly qualified in the event of a crash. In total, there were 293 passengers on board. Flight 236 takes off from Toronto Pearson International Airport at 8 minutes to 1 a.m. Universal Time Coordinated. At this point, they had 47,9 metric tons of fuel. The pilot who was flying was Captain Pichet. And I quote, According to the crew, the flight progressed normally until after crossing 30 degrees west and at 3 minutes past 5 a.m. when they observed unusual engine oil indications on the number 2 or right engine. At 27 minutes to 6 a.m., an ECAM adversary message or ADV message started to be displayed on the engine or warning display. ECAM stands for the Electronic Centralized Aircraft Monitoring System that monitors all of the systems on the aircraft. The crew then decided to deselect the ECAM page. The crew then further noticed a fuel imbalance, which is a problem, between the left and right-wing tanks. To fix the problem, they decided to cross-feed the tanks, meaning that they would feed the right engine using the left-wing tanks. And I quote, At a quarter to 6 a.m., the fuel on board had reduced to below the minimum required fuel on board to reach Lisbon, and the crew initiated the diversion to largest Airport." on Tercea island in the Azores, by 12 minutes to 6 a.m the crew advised santa maria oceanic air control that the flight was diverting due to a fuel shortage the fuel on board had reduced to seven tons captain Pichet then told the fd or the flight director that the flight would be diverting to Lajes. the crew then decided to send the fd to go and check on the wings visually and the check didn't show any evidence of a fuel leak and i quote the crew then contacted the maintenance control manual on high frequency ratio advising the dispatcher of the inexplicable low fuel quantity readings the fuel on board was 4.8 tons or 12 tons below the planned quantity The crew reported that they could not determine what the fuel problem was, that the fuel indication was continuing to reduce and that the apparent fuel leak happened in the right wing inner tanks. At 1 minute to 6 am, the crew then decided to tell the aircraft controller that they lost 1 ton in the right tanks and 3,2 tons in the left tanks. The maintenance control manual then asked if there was a fuel leak in the left engines. At 13 minutes past 6 a.m., the right engine flames out at 39,000 feet or 11,887 meters and 150 miles or 241 kilometers from La Airport. Captain Pichet then tells the traffic controller that they were descending. The fuel at this point was 600 kgs or 1,323 pounds. And I quote The FD returned to the cockpit to get further instructions from the captain. The captain informed the FD that he did not have any time to brief the passengers and directed the FD to do all of the remaining cabin announcements. The FD used the emergency action plan checklist to brief the passengers on the action plan for a ditching, which included instructions on donning of life jackets and demonstration of the brace position. This essentially is just saying that Captain Pichet was focusing on landing the plane, then telling the passengers what was going on. At 26 minutes past 6 a.m the left engine flames out at 34,500 feet or 10,516 meters therefore they did an all engine flame out procedure it did not work i'm just letting you know that it did not work meaning that at this point they were forced to glide to the airport at 29 minutes to 7 a.m captain pichet then decided to do a left 360 degree turn in order to lose altitude in order to land and i quote during the turn the aircraft was configured with leading edge slats out and landing gear down for the landing s turns were conducted on final to lose additional altitude at a quarter to 7 am the aircraft crossed the threshold of runway 33 at about 200 knots 370.4 kilometers or 230 miles per hour touched down hard 1030 feet or 314 meters down the runway and bounced back into the air the second touchdown was at 2800 feet or 853 meters from the approach end of the runway and maximum braking was applied the aircraft came to a stop 7,600 feet or 2,316 meters from the approach end of the 10,000 foot or 3,048 meters runway. After the aircraft came to a stop, small fires started in the area of the left main landing gear wheels, but these fires were immediately extinguished by the crash rescue responder vehicles that were in position for the landing. The captain ordered an emergency evacuation. 14 passengers and two cabin crew members received minor injuries and two persons received serious injuries during the emergency evacuation. The aircraft suffered structural damage to the fuselage and to the main landing gear. This essentially means that everyone survived and we are so happy that everyone survived because usually these crashes result in the loss of essentially everyone on board's lives. So the crash was investigated by the Portuguese Aviation Accidents Investigation Department with the help of the National Transportation Safety Board of the United States. So when it comes to the wreckage, and I quote, the aircraft landed on the hard surface runway 33 at Lajes. The aircraft structure remained intact, minor components of the main landing gear wheel assembly were scattered along the runway. End quote. So this crash was easier to investigate because the aircraft was still intact. So As we can tell, there was a lot of problem with the fuel because a lot of people are saying, oh, maybe you have a fuel leak, maybe you don't have a fuel leaks. So I'm just going to be describing the workings of a fuel pump before we get to the problem itself. And I quote, The main tanks of the A330-200 fuel system are located in the wings and in the trimmable horizontal stabilizer THS. There is also a main center fuel tank. A cross-feed valve is fitted to connect the left and right hand fuel tanks to either engine each wing has an inner and outer tank each inner tank is divided into two parts the division is fitted with a split valve that is normally open each inner tank feeds its respective engine by two main fuel pumps each engine has a low pressure valve that is installed to cut off fuel to the engine each inner tank also has a standby pump that can also feed the engine this pump operates automatically if there's a failure of one of the main pumps so now that we have all of that out of the way we can focus on the tests that were done on the fuel tanks and the fuel pumps of flight 236 and i quote following the occurrence an examination of the fuel system components was conducted a review of the fuel panel in the cockpit revealed that the six fuel pump switches were depressed indicating that the pumps were selected on to complete the testing, all of the pump switches that were selected to the off position. When power was applied to the aircraft, the fuel quantity displays indicated the following. The trim tank indicated 40 kgs of fuel and then the remaining tanks indicated 0 kgs. Each fuel pump was then selected on and verified as functioning by hearing sound and by observing the pump low pressure indication, the ECAP. The operation of the cross and low-pressure valves was verified by observing the indications on ECAM. The fuel control and monitoring system report indicated that there were no failures during the flight. The on-ground test system did not reveal any system failures. In summary, all components of the fuel system were verified as functioning properly." So for me, this was very surprising and very odd because I thought that probably there was a problem with the fuel pump system and the fuel system in general but they ruled that out so i was perplexed to say the most so the electronic centralized aircraft monitoring system or ECAM, as i had mentioned before monitors all of the aircraft systems so when there's something abnormal with the aircraft during the flight the ECAM system will then alert the pilots as to yo this is the problem and then it provides the solutions to that problem the e during that flight was essentially recording an increase and a decrease and then an increase again in oil and fuel so for me that was incredibly suspicious and something to mention while i was researching this case there was actually a replacement of the right engine i know it happens all the time however what if they did not replace this engine correctly because we have seen it before and the reason why they did this was because of the service bulletin that was received by Airbus so now I'm going to be talking about the procedure in which they took in terms of replacing the engine and I quote the engine change started around midnight on Friday the 17th of August 2001 approximately seven days before the flight took place with the removal of the accessories from the engine being removed it was assessed that work could be completed by sunday noon to meet the commitment of the aircraft for the scheduled flight and commitment of the hangar space for another use on saturday morning at half past 6 a.m 18th of august 2001 the lead technician met With the night crew for a shift handover briefing some delays were incurred around midday due to the lack of arrival of a leased jacking pad the rolls royce representative and the reason why i'm saying rolls royce is because the engine is from rolls royce but moving on visited the hangar during the day to keep updated on the progress of the engine change at the end of the day the lead technician handed over the hanging of the replacement engine to night shift even though the work had progressed at a somewhat slower pace than planned, no remarkable difficulties were encountered. The lead technician returned to work early on Sunday morning. Shortly after commencing his shift, he was advised that the rear hydraulic pump could not be fitted due to interference with the high-pressure fuel pump inlet tube. As such, through the airbus illustrated parts catalog revealed the existence of sb29-c625 and pre and post sb configurations at this time the lead technician realized that the replacement engine was in a pre-sb configuration while the removed engine was post sb the lead technician attempted to access the sb from rolls royce's illustrated parts catalog installed on the network using three different computer stations All attempts resulted in an access being denied as a result of a computer network malfunction. The lead technician then contacted the maintenance control manual, who in turn paged the Air Transat Trent engine controller for advice. When the Trent engine controller back, he readily recalled the rationale for the pump modification as being excess vibration. He also recalled that the modified pump interfered with the fuel lines and that they would need to be replaced. He further advised the lead technician to confirm that when the pump and lines were installed, adequate clearance existed between lines and components. Both segments of the post SB fuel tube assembly were taken from the removed engine and installed on the replacement engine the different shape and routing of the new fuel line overcame the earlier difficulties in, in installing the hydraulic pump so in summary something went wrong because these maintenance people decided to take the post sb fuel tube you do not have to know what sb means but like they took the hydraulic lines and the hydraulic pumps whatever from the engine that was taken off meaning that there was something wrong with that engine with the engine that was taken off they took those parts and then they decided to put it on the new engine that was supposed to go on the plane i don't know how that made sense but in summary something definitely went wrong here and we can tell so with the findings and i quote because they are a lot but i'm just going to mention three of them here we go the replacement engine was received in an unexpected pre-sb configuration to which the operator had not previously been exposed the lead technician relied on verbal advice during the engine change procedure rather than acquiring access to the relevant sb which was necessary to properly Complete the installation of the post mod hydraulic pump installation of the post mod hydraulic pump and the post mod fuel tube with the pre mod hydraulic tube assembly resulted in a mismatch between the fuel and hydraulic tubes. I know that was a long thing and it was very confusing, but basically, what I said before in terms of how would they take the parts from the engine that was supposed to be replaced and they put it in the engine that is replacing the old engine. I don't understand either. Number two, the mismatched installation of the pre-mod hydraulic tube and the post-mod fuel tube resulted in the tubes coming into contact with each other, which resulted in the fracture of the tube fuel and the fuel leak, the initiating event that led to fuel exhaustion. So essentially, the mixing of the different parts resulted in a fracture of the fuel tube and that resulted in the fuel leak. Number three, the flight crew did not recognize that a fuel leak situation existed and carried out the fuel imbalance procedure from memory, which resulted in the fuel from the left tanks being fed into the leak in the right engine. So essentially, the crew, as much as they tried to fix the fuel imbalance by cross-feeding, it still did not work because they were not dealing with like a lack of fuel in one engine. Yes, they were, but like not like that. They were dealing with a fracture of the fuel tube which is a huge problem because then it means that the engine is not receiving enough fuel which then leads to the flame out that we saw at 39,000 feet. So this whole case is just really, it's very weird. It's just like that one that I just covered right now with the Dahmer Schold one, that one, let's just move on because i hate it when they do this i really do hate when they do this all right so the cause of the crash the final report did not give me a cause, so i just made my own so the cause of the crash was of course fuel exhaustion but due to the lack of proper maintenance in terms of the installation of the right engine and the hydraulic systems basically what i was mentioning before and the contributing factors to be honest were the crew's lack of preparedness in order to deal with the situation because they automatically thought about oh it's a fuel imbalance therefore we should cross feed instead of looking into more things and saying oh what if we have a fuel leak what if the engine is da 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 and they were working too slow to the point where their engines flamed out and they had to glide Either way, the recommendations set out by the Portuguese Aviation Accidents Investigation Department. Number one, indications and warning systems should be designed to detect critical events, to provide unambiguous information on critical situations with high risk, and to direct crews to specific actions that would mitigate these risks. Clear indications and warnings are particularly necessary for high-risk, rare events, situations that are difficult to diagnose, and situations that require precise handling, in particular under conditions of high workload and stress. Number 2. It is also recommended that the civil aviation authorities of other transport aircraft categories manufacturing states such as Canada, the United States of America, and the United Kingdom, as well as the European Aviation Safety Authority, review the adequacy of aircraft indications and warning systems and procedures to detect fuel used slash fuel loss discrepancy situations review the capability of these systems to provide clear indications as to the causes of these situations and review the capability of these systems to provide alerts at a level commensurate with the criticality of a fuel loss situation number three promulgate the circumstances of this fuel leak event to all air operators air manufacturers and flight crew training organizations Number four, review Airbus aircraft indications and warning systems and abnormal procedures to ensure that, in situations of major fuel imbalances, actioning of appropriate fuel leak procedures becomes a priority for flight crews and consider merging the Airbus fuel imbalance and fuel leak checklist procedures into one procedure containing, at the top of the procedure, the conditions that would suggest the presence of a fuel leak. And number five, review the adequacy of applicable regulations, standards, and aircraft manuals to ensure that necessary information and guidance is made available to the crews and to properly safeguard onboard recordings following an occurrence. End quote either way that is the end of today's episode thank you so much for listening don't forget to rate us five stars on the podcast platform that you're listening to us on follow us on our instagram twitter etc for like fun polls and all of that um don't forget to subscribe if you're listening on youtube but either way i've been your host kai jordan thank you so much for listening and i'll catch you in the next one cheers